0: Welcome to Before You Go. I'm Nicole Franklin. And I'm Bryant Monte. And today we recognize that family time this time of year is not only special, it's an opportunity to learn your history.
1: Too many times we've missed this opportunity.
0: I'm guilty of that. That's right, Nicole. Well, today is your day to remedy that.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bryant always says at the end of our show, it might be time to pick up that phone. That, that's so we did. We did. <laughs> you sound like that sometimes Ur. but we did if our listeners indulge me we have an hour with my chicago family All right. everyone yes everyone they call her the teenager but my aunt perlene that's perlene jala born in 1922 and her daughter mignon are here joining us hey fam Hello. 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 <laughs> hey. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hello. <laughs> it's so exciting to speak with you guys on the radio, of course, but always a pleasure to catch up when we do on our calls. And we like to encourage people to call um, their loved ones, especially you know the loved ones of a certain age. <laughs> so what mm-hmm. we want to do on Perlene is take things back back as um, long as you can remember, um, to your childhood. But before we do that, let's talk about our family ties. It was you and my grandfather who were in the same household, correct?
2: Yes. We grew up together in the same household. I'm
3: 99.
2: And Jimmy was just a year or two older than I was.
1: Oh, for some reason, I always pictured him younger than you. Because <laughs> you, you see, know, he always he was had was more older. authority. <laughs> he was
2: older. We grew up in Mariana, Arkansas.
0: Oh, nice. Is that near uh, Brinkley or Clarendon, Arkansas?
2: It, it's closer to Brinkley.
0: Yeah, I've been there. I used to live in Memphis. Memphis.
2: Mm-hmm. That's around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> my father was a sawmill worker Charles Franklin he was the son, youngest son of Will and Florida Franklin and that was my father and I have to say Nicole my father was uh, very smart in math because he could count fast and he was called a rip sawyer he had three or four saws in the front of him made different ways. And he would press buttons and make the lumber that he was cutting real, real thin for furniture compasses and different sizes. Mm-hmm. So we traveled around in Arkansas and Louisiana wherever there was a sawmill. and They needed rip sawyers well, we would move there for him to work. And he wore loose little short white aprons with different colors of lead pencils and to tell which piece of lumber went for this type of, of furniture. His name was Charles. He was the baby boy. Hmm. My mother's name was Annabelle. And did she work? So we- She was a beautician. She did hair. Mm -hmm. You know, when people were doing hair at home. Yes. Well, she had a group that she did their hair at home in the kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) And let me add that my great-grandmother, Minnie Randolph, was a student and was trained by Madam C.J. Walker.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, the hair thing kind of runs in the family because my grandfather, who um, grew up with my Aunt Perlene there in the same house, he, I believe, met my grandma, his wife, when they were 18, 19. They were still teenagers, I believe. And she ended up doing hair in her basement as well after they got married.
2: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) She worked in the garment district for a while. And then she also was a beautician. Mm-hmm. Wow. so, so doing
2: his, his kitchens ran in the family.
1: Yeah, well, it was a business, right? So, <laughs> right, right,
0: yeah,
1: big, big business, yes, big yes, business. It was. And then you, though, you went out west. Uh, what state did you go to when you guys moved west? We were reared on
2: the desert, 13 miles out of Las Vegas.
1: Why did your family move there?
2: Well, it was work there. Mm-hmm. Wherever well, it was work, he would always go and bring us along after he gets
0: a job. D- did you like? I'm curious. Did you like the desert? Because I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, I, I
1: still <laughs> like it. <laughs> so we know that your dad moved everybody there for work. What did you do while you were in the desert, Aunt Perlene?
2: Oh, a waitress. It wasn't too many. It wasn't too many jobs for younger women in in Las Vegas, you know. Unless you knew how to gamble and all that stuff, you could sit at the table and play cards, you know, takes folks' money.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: so they've been playing that game a long time, huh? The gambling That's game, right. taking people's money.
1: <laughs> That's right. How did you weave your way to Chicago? Through my sister.
2: Nicole, she also got to Chicago because my father, she was a wife of a soldier. He was a sergeant in the Air Force, and he, he was a World War II vet, and he was going to be shipped off to war. And he brought her and uh, my brothers to Chicago because he was being uh deployed off to war.
0: It's curious. How how'd you how'd you guys meet? You and your husband? Was that the restaurant?
2: And I was a, a waitress day. in a restaurant.
0: Uh-huh. Oh and then he came in the door. That's
2: how I <laughs> <laughs> and uh whenever the uh soldiers would come out off of out of camp into the city, yeah, you know, in the afternoons and the evening. Well, they always come to the restaurant and have something to eat, and then they go on that wild way out in the
0: field. <laughs> wild way.
2: So I—that's how I met my husband. As I was a waitress in this restaurant, and he used to come in mm-hmm.
0: just to eat.
2: Because mm-hmm. he was coming in there looking at me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what, what was it? Love at first sight? <laughs>
2: <laughs> no. <laughs> Not really, we no. got friendly
0: first, okay, okay,
2: we real friendly first, and then he asked me my birthday, and I told him, and uh, then, on my birthday, that's when we went out dancing, okay, and to the club and everything, and it went on from there. we got married, I had twin children, my twin boys, and my daughter. Everything. But I loved him and I still think about it. And he died, but he's buried in Mississippi. Oh. He's buried in Georgia. No, he yes, he is. He's buried in Macon, Georgia. Oh. <laughs> okay. I <laughs> know where it's Nicole. Don't worry about okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> In Chicago was also your sister, Gladys. And so um, the two of you lived in the same neighborhood? Before she got way
2: out in Argyle Gardens, which was the boondocks, uh, Brian should know about or heard of the project oh, yeah. in Argyle I heard Gardens. Oh, yeah. They've been out there about 80 eight years. Prior mm-hmm. to that, when she first came to Chicago from Pine Bluff, Arkansas, she lived on 35th Street, 3420 South Wabash. We mm. all did. So we grew up on the low end of town on the south side. And okay. Senator Fred Smith lived two doors from us on Wabash.
1: Senator whom? Fred Smith. Oh, Senator Fred Smith. Okay.
2: And he didn't do nothing for nobody. We can say that about him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a lot of oh. politicians, isn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah, but think about that. He was a black senator in the for the state of Illinois yes. in the uh, 19 late 1940s early 1950s Senator Fred Smith. Hmm.
1: And- but he did nothing for nobody.
0: <laughs> but
1: me. a a true politician a true
2: politician
1: (laughs) so you went from Wabash then to um, the south further south the south
2: side is considered from you could take it from 22nd street uh, until say 95th street
1: Right. So from
2: then- the lake to western, uh, blacks started migrating from the south on the south side of Chicago in those areas. There were pockets that they weren't involved in. They didn't get in Hyde Park, they wasn't in Jackson Park Highland. Uh, and there were certain areas on the east side that is now known as Peel Hill. And different things like that. Blacks were not in. It was still heavily Jewish
1: and South Shore. And so you've been in the South Side neighborhood for how many years now? Would we say more than fifty?
2: Oh, yeah. If I'm (laughs) (laughs) seventy.
0: I mean, I've been. I was in Chicago for about thirteen years, and everyone. I mean, everyone that's from the South Side always had a certain level of pride about it. You know, I'm from the South Side of Chicago. I mean, it was always a that's right. a stamp of pride. South Side? I, the South Side, right. <laughs> I mean, like no other city, it seems like, you know. So what is it about the South Side that you think, or where'd that come from? How did that begin? How did that start where people had a certain level of pride about the South Side?
2: Well, it was forced on most blacks due to Jim Crow and black people had to make their own business. So we, we bought from each other. We had little small stores. We had beauty salons. We had barbecue houses. We had uh, tailor shops. Uh, though anything that we could come up with, own mm-hmm. and sell to each other. Because in most instances, if we went out of the pocket. We were not allowed or people wouldn't serve us. So we became entrepreneurs within mm-hmm. our own uh
0: areas. Right. And it's always thrived. I mean, South Side has always had that certain level of energy. Right. E- even to this day. The I mean
2: the uh what we call the sixth ward, which they call Chatham if you've been in Chicago. Oh, yeah. I know Chatham. Uh, right before the 19 the late mid 60s black people couldn't get a mortgage they could only buy homes on contract so chatham which is the sixth ward in which uh barack obama ran against bobby rush and he didn't win nope, that. <laughs> to be the congressman <laughs> of yeah. the sixth ward uh, that was the first ward that was ever given a mortgage. Those black people in that area uh, got mortgages. Uh, so it it started from there because you had uh, very famous people. You know, uh, the South Side had most of your professionals. It had your doctors, it had your lawyers, uh, it had your realtors. So the South Side built itself
0: So so it's all about community and everyone supporting each other, even though it was uh, there there were some options that opened up later on as people moved to the suburbs. Right. Mm
2: -hmm. I think that uh, many of us blacks were kind of misled in a way, uh, moving to the suburbs. Um, That's just my opinion um because there's so many beautiful chicago brick homes oh, yeah. still on the south side fabulous oh yes. Yeah. uh in all of the different neighborhoods on the south side uh, they got to the suburbs and as they transitioned in the system which was only created to support uh the white families start breaking down the garbage service wasn't doing what it was supposed to do Municipalities municipality wasn't engaged in the uh, white suburban towns. And then you start creating the so-called slums of the suburbs. That's where you got the Harveys and the Markhams and different places like that that immediately went down, not because
1: black people didn't have pride because they wasn't getting the service. hmm
3: mm-hmm.
1: Now, um, an iconic part of Chicago, Chicago's best feature, some say, is its architecture. And one of the buildings most recognizable is that old post office building. Well, my relatives <laughs> held it down at the post office. <laughs> there there were careers made in our family. So both I'm and Mignon, please tell us about the post office years and, you know, the pride that went into that, especially at a place where 91 pieces of mail were thought to have gone through. Uh, the post office in a day, <laughs> a lot of volume. Yeah, yeah, ninety million pieces. That's right. Right Aunt Perlene. You start. You worked. You worked there for thirty years. Thirty two. She
2: Started in nineteen fifty
1: seven. She started in nineteen fifty
2: seven. Nicole. Yes. Then she was a big jock there,
1: huh? Oh, I know. For seven,
2: Tell tell Nicole about you in 1957 when you went in the Postal Service. Well, we had to learn schemes. All of the city, all of the lockboxes, what streets had ran out. It was hard for us old girls because our brain had had added a little bit. (laughs) But we made it. <laughs> okay, schemes are—they have sheets because like the it, the scheme is just like the GPS.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, when you're driving, it it'll tell you what block you're on, okay. uh, what hundred you're on, and that's how they threw mail because all mail was thrown manually, and they had certain areas. Uh, the south side is made up. Of about 15 zones, zip codes, mm-hmm. and uh, you, we, we scanned those zip codes. We would start from 22nd Street, from 22nd Street to 3499 was called 22nd Street. From 3499 to 55th was called Stockyard. and so it went on and on and on. And the South, Great South Side was created and was this code by these schemes. Well, there was no mechanization nor automation, uh, internet. So you had rows and rows of clerks. The Chicago Post Office used to have almost 10,000 people working for it. And of that 10,000, you had about 6,000 clerks. And the other were letter carriers, who you saw coming up and down the street.
1: What was the ratio as far as black, white, the racial demographic, ethnicity breakdown?
2: Well, it, it started off uh, with the whites at the top. The postmasters were all white. Most of the supervisors were all white in the 50s. And then leading into the late 60s, we got our first black postmaster, and his name was Henry McGee. And he stayed there until the 70s when I came in. I came in in 1974, and he retired like in 1972. But he was the first black uh, postmaster that we had in the city of Chicago. In the 1970s, we went into what they call mechanization. We were working in tune with with machinery. Mm-hmm. Uh, by by 1980, we were going into automation, where the mail was actually going through a machine and being read. You know, and we could do hundreds to thousands of pieces of mail a day. That's when they came up with the fact that we were, in fact, doing 90 million pieces uh, in the Chicago Post Office. Those same machinery or that same um, uh, technology is what helps us predict who the president is going to be, who the senators and the congressmen are, because when we run the political mail,
1: we get accounts
2: from it, and we get it from every county and every district. Mm.
1: Ah, so some inside knowledge there at the post office. (laughs) <laughs> that's where it all began we already <laughs> we already knew that from um i know that as a good neighbor you know having the letter carrier come by could uh, save lives in fact did that ever happen that you heard about letter carriers like saving lives if somebody they felt that
4: the mail was piling up and somebody you know was um in trouble inside or did you have stories like those
2: I had many stories like those uh, because I came in the post office as a clerk, like my mother, and uh, I was going to school, and and eventually I started getting promoted, and I left out of the post office as a senior manager, and I had 43 years and six months. I had the city of Chicago, and primarily... I would go from one side of the city of Chicago to the other, and I had what you call customer service and delivery. So the carriers that you've seen on the street, those carriers, I was responsible for that station to in order to get mail. And I would give awards out. I would uh, recognize carriers for saving people's lives, for getting people to the hospital, uh, various heroic things that carriers do. And they love to do. In the city of Chicago, we have a food drive. And that food drive has already started. And when Thanksgiving gets here, we will possibly give away close to 1,000 turkeys. And this is from the National Association of Letter Carriers. They do it every year.
4: Um, Lots of pride. I remember um, if I were visiting you both at the house on the south side, and Mignon, you would come back because you did rise the ranks in the post office and you would come back and, you know, regale us with stories from work. And I just remember Aunt Perline just looking at you with pride, you know, and and, and laughing at, the, at all of the shenanigans that would, you know, take place from person different personalities who you would work with. But she would just be so proud looking at you and what you were able to do there.
2: Well, Nicole, when I, I was in college and everybody was tipped, putting all their little pennies together to make sure that I went to college. And um, I graduated, and I was working in the post office. I wasn't there to stay. I thought it was dirty, and they was moving people around like cattle, and it was a factory. Oh, my God, I've graduated. How can I do this to myself? So I went out and started interviewing for jobs as a registered nurse. Mm. And I'm in the post office making $12,000 a year in the 70s. And I went to five uh, uh, hospitals and they told me, and they were very proud to tell me that they were going to pay me $6,500. Oh, excuse me.
1: (laughs) There's no comparison.
2: (laughs) And gave my mama that little piece of paper and went back and pursued my career in the postal service. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I'm Perleen, when did you retire from the post office? Nineteen eighty nine. What do you remember about leaving work, leaving that career?
2: Uh, they gave me a uh, big going away card and uh the thing that they call automation was coming in. You know, the machines was taking over the clerks' jobs, you know. And uh, they had brought in new people with this new automation thing. Mm-hmm. And they really didn't know the job. And they didn't know when they would standing up over you like <laughs> you was in jail or something. And I was glad to get out of there.
1: <laughs> yeah, the overseers were there. <laughs> that was not for uh, you.
2: I was one of them. I what? was on the working floor over her unit and uh, she turned around and looked at me. This is my mom now. She mm-hmm. told me, standing up over me trying to supervise, she told me she had more time in the S-I-T-H house than I had in the post office. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so don't tell me what to do.
1: Yeah, trying right. <laughs> to supervise somebody.
0: Right, trying <laughs> to supervise. Get
1: out of my face. Yeah, we might have to do some leafing here.
0: Love it. I love
1: it. <laughs> a life of service. Thank you, ladies. Can I interest something if you yes. don't mind? Yes.
2: Um I can remember that your dad, uh Donald Lee, we called him. He was a he was in education at that time. And he was teaching school. And mm-hmm. I could not tell time. And every time he would get off and he would come to the house because they would stay with us, Jimmy Jr. and Donald Lee. He would ask me what time it was, and I would get mad because I couldn't tell time. So he went and bought a clock, an electric clock, plugged it in the wall, and put it on top of the TV, where I love to be looking at Mickey Mouse and the Little (laughs) Rascals. And then he would come in and say, Mignon, what What time time is it? (laughs) Right. <laughs> so we had to go through this thing until he taught me how to tell time. When he taught me how to tell time, he took the clock back.
0: <laughs> he got his money back off took us back to the store. <laughs>
1: I remember That's him right, telling right. me that.
2: <laughs> right.
1: So, what was life like during the Harold Washington years? It seemed like a celebration from the outside.
2: Here in Chicago, we were ecstatic. You know, he was the first black mayor and he could speak with a banker, uh, an executive, and then he could come to the South side and uh, so have sorry. a little conversation with us and, and, and uh, you know, have some uh, that Baptist bird called chicken, you know. <laughs> and so he, he was really promoting education and reading, and he was really involved in schools and jobs. So we were very, very proud of him. And we were all sickened when he died. It was it was very sad for
1: us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For Aunt Perlene, what was it like voting for him?
2: Wonderful. We all stood in line from <laughs> <laughs> around corners and yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Because the, the people was coming from out of the boondocks voting for him.
1: Absolutely, it, and then it when was he,
2: really important. Voter registration went up extremely high. You know, it was so until your your parents would tell you, "Did you register to vote?" Well, you can't live here if you ain't registered.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I remember uh, one time, Aunt Perlene, that uh, we were at someone's home going. Somebody had passed away you all had come from Chicago to my hometown of St. Louis, so it could have been my grandfather's funeral. It probably was. Yeah, and um, so I know you all were very close, my grandpa, um, James Franklin Sr., and we were at the repass, and my sister was sitting across from me mid-drink of a drink of water, and that's when Aunt Perlene, you blurted out, You all's last name isn't Franklin. You all's last name is Scruggs. (laughs) So we have been. (laughs) So I've been I I've been Nicole Franklin forever. I thought (laughs) you are still Nicole
2: Franklin. You still Nicole. His his father's name was Scruggs. Yeah, his father. And But by mama and papa, frankly, rearing him, they never gave him his father's name.
1: Yes, apparently my grandfather's mother never married his father. Thus, um, he right. never yeah. took his name of Scruggs, or, or right. my life would be different.
2: Nicole, <laughs> Say again? Well, see, the other thing, Nicole, is she died at childbirth.
1: Exactly, yeah. Yeah, she did. My grandfather's died mother at died at childbirth. Mm-hmm.
2: Hmm. And Mr. Whoever Scrubs, that way with so-and-so, went on about his business. So he didn't do what he was supposed to do, right. and stand up and be who he was supposed to be. So your great-grandfather stood in, and your great-grandmother, William, Franklin and Florida Franklin and they was proud and Jimmy was the apple of their eye and they heart. They loved him. Jimmy oh.
1: Franklin. <laughs> mm-hmm. So grateful because and my he, grandfather he, was very loving right as
2: well. In, that's right. In in right where in heaven today he's saying Nicole, don't get it twisted, baby. You a Franklin <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hilarious. Now, at one point, um, Mignon, you were telling me that you and my dad were working on some genealogy and you were going back to how the Franklins are connected and in Pops, Aretha Franklin's um, side of the family, which is our side of the family.
2: (laughs) Well, come to find out that William Franklin, your great grandfather, had nine brothers. And they migrated from Tennessee after the, in the 18, uh, close to the 1890s, after they had kind of like said that the slaves could move around or they were no more slaves. Mm -hmm.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. So they came from Tennessee, and it's Knoxville, Tennessee. And they dropped off in different states. Some of them dropped, stopped in um, Arkansas, some went to Memphis, they came closer to Memphis, and the others went to Detroit, Michigan.
3: Hmm. That's The where they went. brother
2: of your great-grandfather went to Detroit, Michigan, and he is the father of C.L. Franklin, which is the father of Aretha Franklin. mm
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> Amazing. We were
2: able to find that out, hmm. and uh, Papa Franklin, as we called him, your great grandfather, used to write C. L. Franklin and talk with him all the time. And uh, whenever C. L. would come to Arkansas, he would come and visit your great grandfather and all of the other Franklin families. So, uh, uh Rita Franklin is in the Franklin family from one of the nine brothers of your great grandpa.
1: Oh wow beautiful. And C
2: L was a minister. Yeah, he was a minister. And he could really, really preach, so they told us. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> and at
2: the when they get to talking about all the things that CL was doing because uh he could really, really preach. And they named him the stone pony, something in the valley for God.
0: I would have loved to have heard him preach.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would be at the dinner table every day because they were so proud of Hmm. And
0: They named
2: him the Stone Pony Stomping in the Valley for God.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He was stomping. (laughs) <laughs> I love it. See, oh, Nicole, thanks. You, you, see, I, I knew you could sing. see I knew you could sing. <laughs> now you're related to Aretha. Franklin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: I let Aretha's um, tunes that she's left us are amazing, oh, amazing. songs. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. Did you? All, <laughs> but I love can, me some I, Aretha. Yeah.
0: Just ask. Let's did eat. you all see the the movie with Aretha Franklin?
1: No,
2: we haven't went to see the movie yet. Okay. I've got to uh get my mind together to go see that movie. Okay. And it's kind of personal because uh that's family and there's certain things that was alluded to that I'm I'm a you know, I have feelings about that that was not uh uh true.
3: Okay. Mm.
2: Um CL I mean her mother and father. Separated, and you know he got her, and all of that, then the mother eventually passed but uh, I gotta get my mind together to see that uh because I just don't like when people want to put negative things right. into something right
1: well, it's called dramatic effect, but a lot of yeah. times it doesn't work out with the family members for sure, yeah,
2: No, so it don't work out too good. <laughs>
0: Okay, and we're back with our visit to a sweet home Chicago. Love that city. Now, Miss Jala, at ninety-nine years old, you have seen a lot and been through a lot. So what gets you through those tough or those those rough times in life? Prayer. Mm-hmm.
2: And being kind to everybody that's kind to me.
0: Except But don't
2: get me wrong. Mm-hmm. If they're not kind to me, I'm hell in their neighborhood too.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I heard that.
1: Yeah, it's been interesting because um, Aunt Pearlene is very strong. She's a very strong woman. I can, um, tell. I can tell. Yes. My father, Donald Franklin, and his brother, James Franklin Jr., were from East St. Louis, and um, they wanted a, an adventure. So they wanted to move to Chicago. And I think my grandparents were very, very comforted in knowing that they'd spend most Mm -hmm. of their time in Aunt Perline's living room. So
3: (laughs) if they They went to Chicago,
1: they'd be well well taken care of. And I know they got into a lot of trouble as young men. (laughs)
2: Yes, (laughs) Don stayed in trouble. Don Lee stayed in trouble.
1: That's my dad.
2: I used to have to open the door and start cursing the minute he stepped
1: in. What would you say? What
0: would you say to him? (laughs) Always some woman
2: calling
0: for him. What woman is this? Huh?
4: Speaking of tough times, it's you know my father's no longer with us. My uncle's no longer with us. And um, unfortunately, Aunt Perle and Mignon, you've lost. Um, well, Aunt Praleen's lost sons. You know um, the twins. All three.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, and all yes, the three sons. So how? I think people want to know when you live so long, how do you deal with loss? And I know you said prayer. I mean, is there any other advice um, when people you're so close to, you nurtured, you, you know, basically raised? How does that work? I'm
2: very lonely, mm. but I just pray all the time. But I'm very, and I think of them all the time.
4: How often are you praying, Aunt Pearlie? I what pray at your, night. You pray at night.
2: When mm. I wake up early in the morning, I thank God for waking me. Mm-hmm. But for prayers for all of you all and myself and everybody in the family, that's a night prayer because mm. it's long. I know he gets tired of me begging but I still do
4: oh that's good I mean I pray in the morning I I give my thanks my prayer thanks in the morning but I hadn't thought about praying at night I get so exhausted you have to pass out prayer night is the
2: best time because you got time and ain't nobody bothering you Right. and you can think of everything to thank him for And everything to beg him for. (laughs) (laughs) And everything to keep all of you all safe from him. Mm -hmm. That's the best time at night. Sometimes I come up here and look east where I can stand by myself and really talk to him. In the middle of the night.
0: Mm -hmm. That's it. Think about the legacy right. of prayer in families, how that's made a difference for so many of us. Like you talk about you praying fine. for your, your kids, your kids and well, your grandchildren, great grandchildren, you know, everyone in your family, you know what that does for a family. I think that's special.
1: I appreciate it. I feel oh, her yeah. prayers.
0: <laughs> now, longevity is certainly a gift and Just want to ask, have you found a certain key to longevity? And what is it? Could you share it with us?
2: You know what my key is? -hmm. Mm -hmm. My key is prayer, Mm -hmm. living good, staying in an old woman's place, and cussing out all the folks that come try to get in my space. That's
1: right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> I feel bad for those folks that even tried. <laughs> <laughs> and, love, <laughs> and love
2: all of my kids.
0: Yeah. And, and just curious. Yeah. I am just curious about where do you think you got your um your stance, your staunch stance on uh family, what you see as, you know, being right and standing up for what is right. Where where do you think that came from for you?
2: The elder people in my family Mm -hmm. in Mariana, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Every man and mostly all the women were strong and stood up for themselves Mm -hmm. because they had to work and they didn't like people running over them or hurting their feelings for no reason. So they had to step back and look you up and down and tell you where to go. Mm -hmm. So that's what they did. They preached that in that house. Be respectful to everybody and don't let them disrespect you. Just step back and let them know. You're not the fool that brought the coffee to town. You're the fool that didn't buy it because it wasn't drinkable. Right. (laughs) 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 That's right. (laughs) And then there was a time when we were growing up a little bit in Arkansas. Mariana, Arkansas lived on Local Street, 410. It was called Association Day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On both sides of the street were homes and everybody had children. A new person comes to town to live in that area. When Association Day come around, everybody is cooking out and food is spread along the street because you're associating with each other and you're beginning to learn about these people, who they are, and where they came from. And every year, they would have association day to get acquainted with everybody on that street, on both sides of the street. So I think that's why children growing up, like we did, are far better than the kids are today. Because you don't have that, a holiday, Nobody barbecues. They had, took a certain day and they would call it association day. You associate with
1: people. Yes, yeah, the old-fashioned block party. The block raised mm-hmm. you. Right.
2: right. I would like to say that I was privileged to uh, be in the South for a short period of time uh, mm-hmm. in my younger years when my mother started working at the post office and uh, I didn't. They didn't have uh, a babysitter for me, so my great grandmother on my grandmother's side, uh, Minnie Randolph, came and got me and took me to the South. And as I go back through history and was searching with uh, Don Lee to find out that they were born into slavery, mm. and to be among them and to touch them and for them to touch me and hold me and say certain things to me. Papa Franklin used to always say that I was somebody. He said, no matter what, you somebody. Mm-hmm. And they, they had pride and they believed in that. Even if they did have to take mental jobs and got paid a quarter for picking cotton and all of that, they were very, very proud. And I'm honored to be on this earth and have been around and touched and loved
1: former oh yes so, miraculous people who are enslaved are a miracle to us a miracle that's why we're here Yep. but what gives you hope these days
2: it's the seeing that all of you all that sealed the lord has blessed me to stay strong and doing well And thinking of me. You haven't forgotten me. And that makes me feel so good. And I'm very proud of all of you. There are some younger people that forget their older aunts and uncles and things, but you all never, never forget me. And I thank you and I thank God for you.
0: Oh, Perlene. So any other words of advice in terms of the longevity piece?
2: Look east. Stand up and look east Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: thank God for every day, every morning.
1: Wow. Yep. To the east, my brother to the east.
2: (laughs) East, look east now. Mm Mm-hmm. Say your prayers
1: every
0: morning, look east. And then at night. Thank him for everything
1: he has done. Yep. Amen. Will do. I will, for sure. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much to you both.
0: Wow. Really love the conversation and all the great tips on what it takes to really live to be 99. Now, that's, you know, just having this conversation reminds should remind all of us that we need to pick up that phone and and reach out and learn more about our history.
1: Yes. Yes. We have history through first person accounts here. And when it comes from family, like my unforgettable unforgettable Aunt Perlene. (laughs) It makes it very special. And please tell us more about relatives, friends, heroes you wish to hear from. Drop us a line at beforeyougo.tv and we'll be in touch.
0: Yes, we will. And before we go,
1: we want to remind everyone that stories like these are sometimes just a phone call away.
0: Just pick up the phone and make that call.
1: There's no time like the present. What What a a gift. gift.